are here. In the 11FS offices in London for episode 101 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you Zuckerberg's world domination plans, Facebook coin, and oh yeah, it's called Libra. All this and more on today's Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Simon Taylor. Uh, without Colin, Colin G. Platt, I think, is shilling PTK somewhere or on holiday or possibly both. Uh, thankfully, not alone today. I'm joined by our Blockchain Insider favorite and co-host, Sarah Feenan. How are you doing, Sarah? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? I am quite well, thank you. Lots of big news today. Uh, joined by Tina Baker-Taylor, GDF Exec Director. How are you doing, Tina? I'm awesome. You really are. Yeah, thanks. Um, and Anthony Macy, who's Director of Emerging Technology over at Barclays. How are you doing, Ant? Mediocre. <laughs> that good. Wow. That's an improvement for you. It is, yeah. It really is. It's All right. Game today. Uh, so we could have picked literally any number of news sources for the news this week. There's, there's pretty much one story, whether it was the BBC, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. In case you were living under a rock, uh, the long-awaited Facebook coin has been announced. And there's a lot to unpack here. So I'm going to borrow from uh, the lawmaster himself, Larry Cermak, and uh, kind of steal his kind of overview, which I thought was fantastic. So if you're not following at Lawmaster on Twitter, you should be. So he says, Libra is a low volatility cryptocurrency that's designed to be secure, scalable, and reliable. Uh, it mainly worked at addressing two problems, banking the unbanked and facilitating low-fee money transfers globally. Libra will be open source under an Apache 2.0 license, meaning developers can read, build, and provide feedback and take part in a bug bounty program. The testnet is launching soon, and the mainnet is due to be launched in 2020. Uh, the cryptocurrency is going to be powered by uh, Facebook's native blockchain network called Libra Blockchain. Good name. Um, Libra is governed by a non-profit Libra association based in Geneva, which will eventually have more than 100 geographically diverse founding members, uh, and no member should represent more than 1% of the vote, including Facebook. Facebook. Uh, Libra starting out as permissioned, but plans to transition to permissionless over time. Libra's non-custodial transactions will be pseudonymous, um, so only the transaction amount, timestamp, and public addresses will be available. Reserves, which back Libra, will be consisted of a collection of low volatility assets like bank deposits and government securities. Libra is also issuing security tokens called Libra uh, investment token as a way to fund and incentive programs to cover operating costs. We'll come back to that one, I'm sure. Enterprises who serve as validated nodes have to make an initial minimum investment of $10 million worth of Libra investment tokens. And uh, But that uh, doesn't go for NGOs and uh, MNOs and social impact partners. Uh, they just have to run a node, um, which may have some costs associated. Um, Facebook are also launching a wallet alongside this, a consumer-facing wallet called Calibra. Um, and Libra, the blockchain itself, will not be regulated, but they're anticipating uh, the wallet developers will get regulated. So uh, unpacking this one. My God, uh, Sarah and uh, Tina, initial thoughts when you saw this? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, guys, a lot going on, isn't there? Because it's there was a lot of speculation over the last couple of weeks about whether or not this is going to be a cryptocurrency. Lots of people said, no, it's not a cryptocurrency because it's you can't have a cryptocurrency that's issued by one single source. Um, and obviously, we'd all heard that it was backed by a basket of assets. But I, 
to me, it was a bit unclear at first whether that each coin is backed by a basket of assets and how you kind of on and off ramp in your jurisdiction. Uh, I think they've said now that you can buy into Libra with your own local currency, presuming they support it, and then you can off ramp as well with it. But there's lots, I mean... How many topics does it cover, really? There's there's obviously the beloved blockchain. Yeah. Um, Which it doesn't it really appear like it there's, is there's no blocks. There's so no blocks. It's not a blockchain. Blockchain-inspired, maybe. It, it's more like uh, Ripple in that sense, in that it's Byzantine fault-tolerant, isn't it? I thought it? you were going to say yeah. it's issued by a single party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that. And that. <laughs> uh, which which may, may have excited some folks. I mean, uh, Tina, what, what were your thoughts when you saw this one? Well, so ahead of the announcement, you know, everybody's saying, so, you know, what do we think about Facebook coin? Um, and what does it mean for the, you know, take whether or not it has no cryptography, the cryptocurrency, the virtual asset ecosystem? Um, and is this the killer app that is really going to propel um, virtual assets into the mainstream. And so if you look at adoption and the captive audience that Facebook already has, um, take into account people that don't trust Facebook anymore, but actually still haven't deleted their Facebook accounts, right? I mean, it's just kind of embedded in... Or Instagram or WhatsApp. I actually a lot of people just delete it from my phone, so thanks, Facebook. Yeah. So, you know, they, they do have... Um, the, the roadmap for mass adoption kind of baked in, right? So if I look at the industry overall, is it good for, you know, virtual crypto digital assets? Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's good to raise awareness and to get people more comfortable with using digitized assets. I do question how this particular product is different than any other digitized payment system. Yeah, why, why is it different to Venmo? Well, that's what I would. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, I don't. I don't really see the B word. How? And has, why is it but different it, to but Venmo? But it doesn't. Hit, well, and that's it. To me, it has the B word, but it doesn't have any Bs. So for me, that's Where are not, the Bs? That no one cares. It's irrelevant, yeah. and that's kind of the point. The, the, pro- the problem with blockchain, the problem with blockchain adoption, is we're too focused on blockchain and not focused on the use case. And yeah. love them or hate them. Facebook are good at scaled products. So there's two things here that they really have. So adoption you've touched upon. In case you're unaware of those numbers, their total estate is 2.7 billion people. So when talking about scale, 2.7 billion, that's 85% of internet users today. Now, of the 500 million, there'll be the privacy conscious, the people who only use Signal, or maybe IRC, and then a VPN and Tor, and all that kind of stuff. But realistically, the 500 million are probably people who they're talking about in regards to the unbanked, the ones who don't have access How to services. How many of those people are based in India? The unbanked don't have access to services, use Facebook, and are not going to be allowed to use cryptocurrency well, once kind this of the bill point. passes. So, like with, it's been the case since day one, this whole idea of bank the unbanked. When have we ever seen that really come into fruition? We haven't. In fact, where most cases we've actually seen cryptocurrency useful is with people that have access to banking services, but they're in a country like, for example, Venezuela, where they're looking to do local exchange of value because they still need the KYC. But what Facebook are exceptionally good at is running a scaled product. Now, that's slightly different to scaled adoption. Like like I said, 2.7 billion people sit across their platforms. They already have technology scale. They know how to run one of these things production live. And for me, that's the interesting part. So some of us were having a conversation earlier. By us, I mean the kind of general us, not yeah. Barclays, but you know, could people in the community around. If this had crossed our desk and it didn't have Facebook attached, we'd have just binned it because it's just not, another shit coin. Exactly. It's just really not that interesting. It's another payments platform that doesn't really answer the question of settlement. There's not really anything that interesting here. 
But it is because being Facebook does make a difference because they come with a lot of weight. And I think part of that weight will be so that you said the 100 vendors, they don't have 100 vendors at the moment, but there will be kind of this cascade, I imagine, where people do seek to join because they'll look at it and go, do you know what? Do we really have a choice here? It's Facebook. So if we are not part of it, then we're competing with them. What other platform are we going to use? And well, there's nothing else really out there. Actually, a very good point um, that it didn't cross your desk, did it, Anthony? Because you work for a bank and there's no banks in the initial investment well, set. Do we well, think that'll well, stay and, the and same? Let's get to who is as well, because I think that I think just kind of uh, buttoning on uh, Ant's point there. This is a bit of a holy shit moment because holy shit, it's Facebook, but holy shit, it's Visa, it's Mastercard, it's PayPal, it's Coinbase, it's Spotify, it's eBay, it's Stripe, it's Lyft, it's Vodafone. There are some big names, Uber, there are some big names involved here that could really get access. So you talk about the the billions of people that have Facebook, like there's a lot of companies that are not Facebook that are at least signed up and curious about what's Which going on. Which is where most uh, you know, new payment services fall down, merchant acquiring, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, merchant they, adoption, yeah. You, merchant adoption, sorry. So you've got this cool thing, but nobody takes it. So if you've got Visa and MasterCard allowing, I'm assuming, I mean, is it through the use of their rails or it's some kind of... Look, I'm purely speculating here, but like, what does it mean for payments? I think is an interesting question because if you're Visa and Mastercard, why are you involved? It could be a really well thought out strategy to transform their networks, or it could just be, uh, can't, we can't miss out on this. We need a front row seat. I think it's that second thing. But then think about what Visa and Mastercard do. Right? They offer acceptance, but they also deal with stuff that happens when a payment goes wrong. And so Libra isn't talking about what happens when a payment goes wrong, but a MasterCard type could. So there's, I think there's still a lot of value there in terms of dealing with refunds, what happens at merchants and things around that, that Visa and MasterCard have a lot of experience in. But like, it feels tenuous. Like somebody else could build that with the same open source code now. Like their network but doesn't seem to But somebody else doesn't have 2 billion users, at, you know, their app embedded on a phone that you can't get rid of and they don't have the uh, so we might have a feeling about recent Facebook misuse of privacy or you know questions around being used as the product it's you know there's there's lots of uh, discussion about Facebook's ethics but ultimately um, a lot of people still use it or they use other products and services offered by Facebook. Instagram. So, the amount of people that have deleted Facebook that use Instagram every day. If this <laughs> is built into the um, architecture, and I think that you know the the they that were discussing this earlier today, um, it will be built into the the Facebook architecture. So I'm not exactly ha- sure how that's going to work. But if it's linked to all the things I already use, awesome. you're in an Alipay situation or a WeChat WeChat situation where I can't almost help but use it because. It's just too easy. So there's a couple of things there. Facebook doesn't own Libra, I think, is point number one. So to, to the people who are massively concerned about, you know, can we trust Facebook? Uh, it, if they've created a, a foundation based out of Geneva that in theory other people would own, and in time everybody would have equal membership to it, including Facebook, um, I, I guess that's to make people feel like Facebook isn't going to get any more data than anybody else. It's really privacy assured. But Facebook hasn't exactly been the friend of nation states lately. And now they've come along with this thing that is effectively creating a different like a different store of value that is a basket of currencies used by billions of people not tied to any one particular nation state. I can see why an India or somebody else might not like this. Yeah, and I think that was that was going to be another 
um, I guess, angle or frame to look at this through. This is, you know, classic Silicon Valley disruption 101, isn't it? Just go into somewhere and just take and move fast and break things and ask for forgiveness, not permission, etc. Um, but this yeah, time it's not... you got any more cliches there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And have you got any? I've got um, several. <laughs> <laughs> but this, in this case, this isn't disrupting the cabbie industry. This isn't disrupting the hotels. This is disrupting the revolving door between Goldman Sachs and the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. Now, will that be a little bit more diff- difficult for them to actually pull off than something in another industry where they've still had, you know, regulations to contend with? For example, the taxi sharing, not they, obviously, but Uber, who are, of course, one of the initial um, validator node investors. Uh, is is that going to be as easy for this huge set of initial investors to actually disrupt economics? Well, let's look at though the, the fact that they've gone live with this thing. It's um, not live. Well, they've they've launched the test net. So, I mean, and yes, not live, but uh, it's out there. There's, there's a white paper that's live in crypto, right? It's <laughs> there, there's it's a white there. paper and there's test code and there's, there's, there's yeah, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a lot more than the white paper. So the, the GitHub's really interesting. There's yeah. a lot of detail there, but I think... The, the most interesting thing I've read about this so far today was um, in Anna Herrera's story on Reuters. So it was the quote from um, one of the Facebook executives where it said, depending on the regulatory pressures or something along those that's lines, we may not ever issue this anyway. So that's why I wanted to make the distinction of going live. Very, so great segue. So that's exactly where I was headed. So this, the, whatever they've, they've announced, they've put something out there. They don't have a banking license. This looks a lot banky. Um, they <laughs> it looks very banky. Um, they they don't have uh, a regulatory license for certain things in certain places. They're still having conversations. Um, if you have a so if I'll go back to India again, it's not an accident. I don't think that the Indian government came out like literally last week and said. Just for the record, we don't like crypto. And if you use it, if you're caught with it, if you're sending it, if you're buying it, you're going to jail for 10 years. Like, wow, right? So um, I, I think that it's almost kind of being floated out there to see, like, what's what's the pushback? What, how is this going to land? And is this a situation where, like Uber, we're just going to go in and take over and then we're going to become, like, too big to fail? It's going to be too hard to get us out of here. Because customers love it too much. To work with us. Yeah. So I, think I thought the- what was interesting, going back to um, the the commentary from reporters today, I think it was Isabel Kaminska that said that it's interesting that they're saying we're going to help to shape regulatory frameworks, not that we're going to operate within regulatory frameworks. Mm. So, you know, is that the the idea that they're just going to, create something that new because they're so big that they can just do that um and also what markets because india's i think a huge market where there would have been opportunity but now maybe there's not um to to ant's point maybe it's not blockchain though so it's not crypto it's not crypto you could argue that (laughs) (laughs) i have a funny feeling they'll find the, the the uh, the indian government would find that it is because that benefits them but yes legal interpretations and all that so you asked me earlier what my initial thoughts and my initial thoughts were two words it's bold so i see this as a massive uh, attempt at regulatory arbitrage here um, and that kind of speaks to the vendors from my perspective so if you look at the kind of vendors you have you have people that are kind of obvious so uber i'd see as a very natural partner to this kind of thing they're globally situated they're in and out of lots of local currencies having a collateralized backed stable coin probably makes a great deal of sense for someone like an uber they're not going to trust some nonsense you know it's going to have to be robustly um, backed by a strong corporate why, brand why not usdc why not just use that Sorry? Well, I mean, you already have USDC. 
But you're still backed yeah, but by US dollar. Yeah, the brand adoption, I think, that potentially this could, because USDC's centre, isn't it, the, the foundation, uh, which has Circle and, and Coinbase, and those are very traditionally crypto, whereas these are traditionally... Not crypto. VC, not crypto. Uh, but yeah, I mean, looking through the investor list to add to that, I'd say Spotify, eBay, there's lots of, of these smaller payments that these people take, these companies take um, automatically every month online, and they don't want to have to maybe go payments. through there. And you yeah. reduce your overall volatility. So these people will hold liquidity in various jurisdictions in order to reduce their overall exposure to FX risk. Yeah. If you have a bucketed collateralized stablecoin, which isn't just currencies, but is also other types of assets, that's reducing that overall volatility. What, what does that mean for the FX markets? Because FX markets are really based on the fact that like, trying to hedge that risk is is hard and you need to go to those banks that are good at science. And, and, and so, well, so this depends. So I think um, if you look at the vendor list, it's almost like, to Sarah's point, you kind of get to this stage where it kind of has this cutoff. So you have people that are sort of kind of maybe regulated a bit and then everything down to not really regulated at all. And then the other side of that coin would be people who are regulated. Yeah. So if they were to get involved with this, that would probably be quite tricky for them. They would have to justify it to their regulators. Yeah. They would have to justify it to shareholders. I mean banks, e-money issuers? Basically existing. anyone that's properly regulated Already, in yeah. financial services regulation. So on top of that, um, what you're kind of getting to with this is this kind of split where the real question, if you take this far enough, is do you need local currencies? Because if you can sit within a platform mm-hmm. where everyone else already is, you don't need anyone else. Well, so that comes to the point, right? So there are no banks in Libra today. Um, and uh, if you look at the logo list, there, there are rumors, and I don't know how substantiated these are, that a number of banks were contacted. But to Ant's point, the amount of work you would have to do to get involved in something like this is years. And even then, I think this would have to change substantially for it to start to make sense, not least for because of the geopolitics, but also standing laws and regulations. But to that point, what if I'm dealing in airtime and my life to, at the moment is in airtime? I, you know, there's a whole swathe of populations that deal with airtime instead of cash. Now, if airtime could be transferable for these Libra coins or whatever they're going to be, Libra tokens, that starts to get really interesting. And if TransferWise or somebody was able to use Libra as a bridge between airtime and fiat, you can see how there are edges in which this sort of becomes swift, but for everybody else. Is uh, airtime not a little bit less volatile, given that it's time, than something that's pegged to a basket of currencies? No, well, you're paying for airtime and something that's potentially volatile. Yeah, so, so if a telco puts so up there's their an underlying asset. There's a sort of peer-to-peer payment network with airtime, though, is it not? So I pay you something in airtime as opposed to using... But I, you got to buy that airtime in the first place, I guess yeah, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, which creates yeah, an on-off ramp. A, and of course, but there's always an on-off ramp. There is with Libra as well. And and But that, that's a very different on-off ramp. And depending on the country, the regulations around that differ quite a little bit. For financial inclusion reasons, a lot of uh, developing economies looked quite favorably upon airtime providers and telcos uh, to, to really make a difference. And of course, Vodafone are involved in this uh, initial stage of Libra. So that's a thesis. But there's also companies like, uh, there's also uh, Mercy Corps and Kiva. There are people who need to get value to the last mile in war-torn regions or to do micro-lending to SMEs. So you're but- talking like a, like a, a bridge between M-Pesa mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the financial Vodacom, yeah. system. I don't think you need the bridge. That's what's so terrifying and exciting about this because... Why do you need the off-ramps? You need the off-ramps so that you can actually use the stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you're using Bitcoin, unless you're 
down yeah. in Shoreditch, chances are you probably can't use Bitcoin. And even then, you probably can't use Bitcoin. Whereas if you're Facebook and all of the merchants are on the Facebook platform, you don't need to move out of Facebook. Out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah. stay within the same platform. So it basically becomes a great big e-money platform. Well, that's where, where this merchant adoption comes in. But so can we, so if we're talking about e-money again, um, I'm going to go back to Isabella Kaminska's overview, um, which I was most struck by. I didn't necessarily understand this previously. So this is a direct uh, quote from the article. The underlying assets of the Libra Fund will be made up of bank deposits, representing a basket of currencies, which we knew, and other low-risk government securities. Customers who transfer value into the system will, in effect, give up their right to collect interest. So unlike me depositing into a bank, I'm putting money in here, but I can't collect interest on that. On my capital. Instead, the interest earned from deposits and securities will be used to pay the system's operating costs and, if any, leftover dividend payments to the founding members. Mm-hmm. So uh, she goes on to say this isn't you know, a novel strategy, but um, PayPal tried this before, and they found that the money transmission license that they had did not cover them for this activity. Mm-hmm. So this is the there's same a, play there's in a the great same big licensing issue with the same thing that already was... But there's a whole bunch of organizations that do that sort of thing based out of Switzerland already. So, you know, is this a bit... Is this going there? See, I think the, the interesting thing here is around this establishment... Oh, sorry. I think the interesting thing here is around the establishment of this foundation. Um, we've seen people try this play before and <laughs> with various hilarious results. I think this will probably go a little bit better. I'd hope that Facebook's lawyers are slightly... Um, well, More aggressive. More aggressive. Aggressive is a word. Let's use that one. Um, I don't think it matters. So the the problem is with PayPal, you've got a centralized actor that you can go after and say, you need to be regulated in this way for this specific activity. Now, what Izzy was basically getting to is that Facebook and Libra are making this assumption that Libra will not need to be regulated because it's clearly a platform rather than um, performing a regulated money service transmission business. I think that's probably a fair place to start. Well, they've tried that one before, though, haven't they? Because there's a Section 230 Act in the US that means if Ooh, you're a platform, you're not, <laughs> you're not a publisher of said content. You are just the platform on which it is published, and therefore you're not responsible for the content. Um, I don't know whether that's going to hold up or not, because there's lots of talk about breaking up these big platforms and things. But isn't well, this exactly the same place? You're back into the camp of prediction yeah. markets and murder for hire. And is that, you know, do you but, regulate that? And but but coming, back to, to Anthony's point, coming back to Anthony's point here, uh, there's a lot of logos around the Libra logo here that make for a pretty nice lobbying group. So now you're not just going after Facebook, you're going after a lot of organizations um, with some serious war chests that are all stunning in theory standing behind this thing uh, in, in different uh, parts of the marketplace so they've created effectively one giant lobbying group uh, and I love that point about you could have an entire ecosystem where you never need to on off ramp I think that's the 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 missed play here and and if somebody were to pick this up and somebody else were to pick it up and you had people just started using it I mean that's how currencies start right somebody just starts to use it and it stays stable why wouldn't you if you've already got it sitting inside your app just send one of these things to somebody else and they send you one back and you buy something for them and you send them half a one like 
if it makes sense and it solves a problem for you, you're going to do it, which begs the question, you know, will it solve the problem it's set out to do? Will it solve other problems? What are, what are your thoughts on that? It's basically gonna... the ultimate Silicon Valley play, isn't it? To try and disrupt the economics, um, trade balances across borders, uh, payments across borders, remittances. Um, all of that is trying to move the government governance into a platform as opposed to uh, currency controlled by a state. That would be one extreme view of what the play is. It's kind of one platform to rule them all, but it's not just Facebook's platform, it's everyone. And, you know, some of these names on here have, you know, Coinbase has complied with regulations eventually, but didn't start off with. Um, Uber's been caught time and time again going into regions and disrupting the regulatory process there and the existing market for taxis. Uh, there's not, you know, and then there's a whole list of um, VCs. So what I don't know is this is the extreme end game here to have a global governance platform of money. I think so, and I think the the other part of this is that the fact that Facebook aren't in control of this kind of it, it can go one of two ways. Either regulators really think they're not in control. So. Yeah, well, so legally they wouldn't be. Legally they no, wouldn't. No, but be. practically, practically, for the record, that- I'm holding up my phone. Um, they will be. So is Ripple in control of XRP? Uh, <laughs> no, really. I mean, we, we talk about this a lot. Tina Big Taylor there. We talk about yes, this a it, lot. Yes, it issues and, and XRP. There, there are some people that hold them accountable for that. So how is this different? Just before we move on, I, I would really wish, I think they've missed a trick by calling their wallet Calibra and not Calibrate. So what's... Fair point. Uh, we also didn't dive into how they've constructed it in some of the tech. Um, we, we briefly touched on it being BBFT, but we didn't talk about their virtual machine and the fact that they've created a language they call Move um, that some say resembles Solidity, but it feels like they've taken a little bit of everything and, and, and put it all together. Is it any coincidence that this is show 101 and Facebook coin is launched? I think not. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Thanks, Mark Zuckerberg. I've got to move us to our ad read and we've got to belt through some other stories because we've gone 28 minutes on that and it's flown by. So I hope you've really enjoyed it. Uh, reminder, listeners, this episode is brought to you by R3. Developed by R3, Corda is ahead of other blockchain platforms in terms of privacy, security, scalability, and interoperability. And because Corda was built to meet the stringent requirements of highly regulated industries, in particular financial services, it can be used by firms of any type, any size, in any industry. With Corda, every business in every industry can leverage the power of blockchain. And a free trial of Corda Enterprise is now available at r3.com. Head over and check it out. Um, and they've just uh, given their R3 website a fresh look, and they've got some pretty funky-looking animations. So uh, shout-out to Todd McDonald, friend of the show. Um, this is usually the point where he stops listening when he gets his shout-out. Is LibraCoin built on R3 quarter? Uh, that's a great question. It's <laughs> on with the show. Very briefly, story from Coindesk. Block.one are launching their own social media platform, so coming in the opposite direction. So start, instead of starting with a social media platform and doing a coin, they've started with a coin and done a social media platform. Um, and they are uh, aspiring to launch a new platform called Voice. Um, I don't know if they'll have presenters in swiveling chairs. Does um, anyone care? I care. Why? I, I think what they're trying to do is really interesting around creating a competitive marketplace. I don't, see, I, I don't buy I this whole exchange of value like for social is, media. Yeah, you, you, you pay tokens to vote up your own comment. 
Like I, what? I, I, it's Steemit, isn't it? You, it's micro tipping and it's uh, micro transactions. And yeah, does that just uh, does that take the like, which had a commercial value to it anyway? And does it does it make that behavior worse or does it make it better? I think, I think this it's an is interesting an question. entrant product. I mean, I think that there's going to be like the it's the first out of the gate around creating a different type of social engagement ecosystem. So generally, if you look at the bigger trend around uh, the move away from uh, kind of owning data versus micropayments inside of a platform and earned media and micropayments to to access it and microtipping. Earn.com, right? Yeah, like that whole thing. It still feels like there's something there and nobody's nailed it. And this is an interesting go at that. Um, But, you know, I think the jury's out on whether or not this one gets successful. I just don't think people care. I know that they claim that they do around their data and their privacy and they'll have a little bitch and a moan occasionally and go, oh, my data, and then they'll be, you know, unjustifiably upset over nothing. The thing is, it's all in the terms and conditions and I get it. Like, I don't like being manipulated, but if it's a choice between, do you know what, just have my data versus getting this stuff for free, you know, I'm quite happy. Well, that is your opinion, but I would say the conversation is mostly... um... Among who, though? Like, among cypherpunks and people that are interested in crypto? Can I finish? You can finish, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The the conversation I hear more, I would say, or more loudly is probably a better way of putting it, is about censorship on platforms, people being kicked off and comments being removed and things. So it's hard to say with this amount of information whether this platform intends to be censorship-free. Um, or whether you can actually just pay money to to shout the loudest. Basically, you could maybe write in capitals, and people would hear you anyway. But um, but there is, I mean, there's there's those are two sides to the same coin, really, about the data usage and the rights that you hold over the data and the censorship. I'd say that in the US, perhaps they care a bit more about the censorship than the privacy. But maybe in the UK, we care a bit more about the privacy than the censorship. Uh, I th- it does feel like it's one of those debates that is becoming stronger in the public imagination and more so as time passes. Uh, and post-Cambridge Analytica, we, we are in a world where nation states and governments really care about truth, facts, and the nature of information versus misinformation. So I think there's a macro trend there. Um, but there's also a question about... Uh, does the trend-setting consumer represent the mass consumer to be determined? I don't know. Um, but we'll have to do all of that again on another podcast at some point because uh, we are going to have to move on when and get to our Twitter of the week. But before we do that, uh, stories we did not have time to cover. Um, Coindesk.com, Monopoly-style blockchain property trading game raises $2 million. Whoop-de-doo. Um, Coindesk.com, Cryptarium, launches the first global crypto payments card. Um, a story from Twitter. Oh, hang on, what first? Global crypto. There's pay- a lot of firsts in this industry, isn't there? Yeah, don't know, but that's that's apparently uh, it, it's the first global crypto payments oh. card, whatever that means. Um, but that seems to be stretching Can't the definition of the word. Talk to us when we had a store or at Wirex? Consensus like six years ago about their crypto payments card. I I struggle to believe that's the first. Anywho, um, story from uh, Twitter. We don't Square. have time to cover it. We just covered it. It's a non-story. Carry on, Simon. We love you. Story from Twitter, Square Crypto hires a former Google exec. Uh, Jack Dorsey's up to stuff. Um, The block uh, covering Binance launching a US exchange, but also blocking, in air quotes, all US accounts from their main exchange. Reuters, is Bitcoin growing up? Regulators' futures boom as investors seek safer ride. And the block also uh, covered Bittrex and Bitfinex appearing to step up their KYC controls. All right, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Tweet, tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. So this came from Danielle Zeffo. This is brilliant. And that's at MDM underscore Z. 
or Z for the American listeners. Sorry, Facebook, but an Aussie woman, I can't help but associate your new fancy-as-fuck digital currency with our popular tampon brand. Then again, given all your recent data leakage, it's a fitting name for something you're hoping will help clean up your bloody mess. <laughs> Scathing. Good work, Danielle. Shout out to Danielle. Yeah. And, and just FYI, she then did put a, a picture of Libra, the original tampons. Um, I don't want to scream the body's format. Uh, it makes more sense when you can see it. Uh, and a quick bonus, of course, um, Twitter account of the week is at Libra Reserve. <laughs> My goodness. Um, uh, so Libra Reserve, um, which uh, also goes by a librarian or librarian, whichever. Uh, the comedy value is just phenomenal with this account. Um, hiring white paper writer for cryptocurrency with multi-billion dollar market cap. Need it done by next Tuesday. Uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. All right. Uh, before we leave you, we have another epic interview, this time from the uh, main stage at Money 2020, uh, where I was joined by uh, Wei Zhu, uh, who's CFO at Binance. Let's hear from him now. Hey, Wei, how's it going? Hey, Simon. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. So um, let's, let's just get right started, shall we? Sure. Um, Remind everybody who Binance is. You guys are in a lot of countries. You do a lot of things. So let's just set the scene. Who's, who's Binance? Yeah. So, so the origin of Binance is uh, we have a really, first of all, we have a really cool name. It's Binance. So like, it's not Binance, you know, as, <laughs> uh, as, as some people pronounce it. So it's binary finance. That's the origin of our name. And, uh, and we are the world's biggest uh, cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, the company was uh, launched in uh, the summer of 2017. So we're, we're, not, we're barely two years old. And, uh, and, and sort of uh, the business we have is um, we offer a, a global trading platform um, for users to uh, trade uh, a variety of uh, digital currencies. And you're two years old, but you're the biggest, if not one of the top two crypto exchanges in the world, far out uh, ranking uh, the next nearest uh, sort of competitors. How did you grow so big so fast? Yeah, um, the origin of, uh, of Binance is that we did our ICO in July of 2017, and we raised $15 million through the sale of the Binance coin. And the origin of the Binance coin is that you can use it on our exchange and get discounts on your trading fees. Uh, and, and I think um, and when we launched it, we launched ourselves as a crypto-only exchange, because I think historically there's been a lot of exchanges that are around that basically dealt with fiat to crypto. But, um, but I think uh, sort of at that time, we felt like... Uh, there was a lot of ICOs that were coming out at that point. Um, at the same time, there was actually a general global interest coming in in terms of, um, not just in terms of the ownership of cryptocurrency, but actually in the trading of it. Mm -hmm. And I think we're able to capture the market that way in that when you enter into the cryptocurrency world and leave sort of the fiat world, uh, what you realize is actually a much more frictionless um, ecosystem where the assets can move more freely and cheaply uh, than they do um, in the fiat world. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because you guys deal in crypto to crypto, but there's a whole other economy here. You, before we came on stage, you were talking about um, the, the kind of the internet economy that is existing. It's almost alongside the real sort of financial economy that we know. With your Wall Street background, you're yeah. obviously very familiar with that. So how would you describe this, this new token economy? Like, how would you introduce that, that concept? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, um, I think we're entering a tokenized world. I think when Bitcoin first launched, uh, I think more than 10 years ago, um, that was the first sort of cryptocurrency. Um, and, and that has pretty much, I think, grow, have, has grown more mainstream over the, la over the last few years, especially. Um, but I think what we've witnessed sort of through the uh, Ethereum uh, blockchain enabled by the ERC-20, it has allowed the creation of the smart contract, which is the next evolution of it. And what that has allowed for at least 
one type of use case is basically raising capital on the blockchain, right? Yeah. You have projects that can sell their own utility tokens that sell tokens that have a use case within that ecosystem, right? And one of, and for example, Binance Coin is one use case of that is that you can use this token to get 50% off when you trade and you pay for it, right? Um, and, and I think, yes, there's a lot of whole discussions about what the, 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 what is it, the security token, user token, payment token, whatever. I think moving that conversation aside, um, we have more tokens, and that is something that did not exist in the world prior to sort of the ERC-20 chain. And, and, and I think what that has allowed company to do is basically using a different form of uh, fundraising, mm -hmm. right? Historically, you raise capital through fiat currencies, right? And then you raised it by selling equity or selling debt or selling, you know, whatever types of derivatives in your business. Now there's this whole new way for you to raise capital. Uh, and, and Binance, I think, is a good, uh, successful case study um, in it. And because when you can do that, you distribute your token out towards your community, right? And your community now is an owner in that business, right? They are a, and by engaging with that community, you can basically allow them to benefit from the growth of your business. And how is that different from crowdfunding? So crowdfunding has been around for some while. Um, there's been, you know, people own stocks and shares in their favorite companies. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of there's some inefficiencies there potentially, or, or what, what's, the, what's the major difference? Uh, the major difference is the, the friction that, exist within the fiat world. And I think most of the people here deal in this, in, I think like I, as I mentioned before, it's like 99% of the money in the world are still in fiat, right? Mm -hmm. And as you deal in the fiat world, you basically, you have all this technology, all this brain power going in to basically trying to get rid of that friction. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if you enter into the crypto world, you basically realize that it's fast mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's almost free, right? It's pretty cheap. So, so in terms of the movement of value on the blockchain, that is, I think, that is key, right? So, so, so what that has allowed, I would say, um, the fundraising on the blockchain for people to do is that you can do that on a global basis. But people You're, always say Bitcoin's really slow. Um, what do you say to that? Uh, yes, that's why there are other chains, right? Like even, even for like ERC-20, which is sort of the more common chain that is being used by, uh, by, by companies to, uh, to, to, uh, to tokenize, I think, um, you know, we, we would like to think, you know, Binance, we released our own Binance chain last uh, last month and the speed it's purely just for tokenizing mm -hmm. and for transacting and for sending uh, and for sending uh, you know tokens across the Binance chain and I think for that because we've taken away a lot of the other sort of features mm -hmm. um, it's actually much faster and even cheaper so that not all blockchains are created equal not all tokens are created equal but we've seen um, a bit of a bear market in the last couple of years you know a year ago two years ago Bitcoin was in the mainstream press it was everywhere um, uh, that's kind of gone away a little bit but your business Business in that time has, has gone from strength to strength. What, how have you guys kind of bucked the trend there? Yeah, I mean, I think as with any business, it goes through a boom-bust cycle. Uh, it goes, you know, it becomes bubbly and then it becomes depressing and then mm. you come out of it, right? So for us, you know, we believe in the long-term growth. We believe that the world has become, is, there is going to be more tokenization. So we basically just hunch down and continue to grow our business that way. Um, and, and I think, and from that, um, with actually less, and, and that's actually good for our business at least, there's less distractions. There's less, uh, all the scammers and the fakers are actually leaving because there's no money to be made here, so they move somewhere else. So, well, so. and that's an interesting point because the, the headline narrative in the past sort of six months has really been about hacks and it's been about security. So what can people like Binance do to really protect users in, in, that, in that scenario? Yeah, um, I, I, think, um, one of the, um, I think one of the issues with uh, this space 
is basically uh, the users themselves or the institutions themselves. There are no third-party uh, custody providers that takes it control it. So not so from a user perspective, you have your control of your own assets, but at the same time, it's the first time in in many generations that humans actually control your own asset in your own back pocket mm -hmm. or in your or on your phone or on your or on your laptop or on your ledger or on your um, on your hardware. So from that perspective, we have to learn how to protect our own assets. And I think that's a learning process. And what are people using this stuff for on your exchange? Like, when you look at the, the world of crypto, is it still just all speculative activity? Are people just trading for the sake of trading? Or is there something deeper going on here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the use cases are developing. Right? I think, you know, uh, as with any capital markets, there is speculation. And speculation is a big part of driving more... Um, more capital into the market and driving more uh, interest and driving more eyeballs. But I think outside of just sort of trading, um, we're witnessing, I think, two really neat trends and that Binance itself is supporting. One is on charity. So if you go to Binance.charity, uh, you can actually see uh, we're bringing charitable donation and charitable use, use of that funds through the blockchain, where the donor themselves can see exactly the movement of my money the moment that I put in my BNB or put in my Bitcoin, the movement of that money through the blockchain ecosystem into the hands of the last recipient, sort of the last mile on that. And that hasn't really existed before um, because the money that you give has to get converted into the fiat currency of the home country, and there's a lot of wastage along the way. So uh, with blockchain, you actually get rid of all that leakage, where actually it's like dollar for dollar is, ends up in the hands of the... And, and, and ends it up in the hands of the beneficiary, whether they're children. Because, for example, we have this uh, one BNB, the Binance coin. Uh, you can feed a child in Uganda's lunch for a month. Sort of, and we're working with the local schools to develop that. And it's a really interesting use case because um, we're making the, the, the school, we're actually going to the schools in Uganda, uh, helping them to set up uh, hot wallets and cold wallets. Mm -hmm. We're going then to help the suppliers to set up the wallets there so that they can actually receive the BNBs or the Bitcoins. And then we've launched a fiat exchange in Uganda so they can actually switch the BNB out into fiat and spend it. Which is an amazing use case, but do you think at some point we're going to have to move away from you guys having to do that yourselves, is it going to get easy enough for people to be able to pick up these tools? Because when you're new to Bitcoin, when you're new to crypto, it's all quite confusing. It's all pretty hard to use. Like, is that going to change? Yeah, uh, uh, the quick answer is yes. I think as with any technology, you have the early adopters, right? I mean, uh, and, and, and basically, how do you evolve? For, and there's a lot of friction, mm -hmm. right, in terms of setting up your own, setting up your own personal wallet, um, moving your funds from your personal wallet onto an exchange, mm -hmm. withdrawing it back to your wallet. And I think... Um, there is, there is an education process, but at the same time, um, we're also funding that. Like, for example, for Binance, we have Binance Labs, which is uh, our sort of, you know, investment arm, right? Mm -hmm. And we've tried to invest into, I would say, like cold wallets that, are, that you can own for less than $10, right? So I think by lowering some of these frictions, I think you can make it easy. Because for, for users, right, you want something that's easy to use, right? That's why Apple is so awesome, right? That's why Google is so awesome, right? Mm -hmm. but, but the thing is, is that with, with money, the easier it is, the scale of safety and security slides down on the other end. Right. right. So there's a balance that you have to meet somewhere in the middle. Well, that's it. Um, there's always been that trade-off between usability and sort of security. Uh -huh. um, but the other one that people talk about is blockchain is really inefficient because it burns loads of uh, energy and, CO and creates a lot of CO2. Uh -huh. So, you know, are we really, in a, as we look at a world that's increasingly conscious about climate change, you know, can blockchain be a re realistic technology? Uh, yes, because it gets rid of paper. 
<laughs> yeah, okay, so C, uh, there's a lot of CO2 from paper. That's, yeah. a, that's a pretty straightforward one. Um, but what about um, sort of regulation? So uh -huh. you know, there are a whole bunch of challenges around anti-money laundering, preventing uh, counter-terrorist financing. You know, what role can uh, exchanges and wallet providers really play to ensure that uh, you know, this new world of finance is as safe, if not safer, than the old world of finance? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, one of the key things that, um, so for, for example, for Binance, we've been, uh, I, I personally, since I've joined, been engaging with um, various regulators in different jurisdictions to basically um, spend a lot of time educating them on what is blockchain and what is a distributed uh, ledger, and then what are the tools that are available to help them to do their job, um, uh, and, and, and how is that different from the traditional banking space, right? And how some of these rules uh, are different, but the effect, it actually becomes more effective. For example, um, you know, when money moves from one bank to another, uh, from one country's bank to another country's bank, that money trail is, is essentially lost or is gone, right? That's why you can, one country can have the most strict banking law, but if that money moves to a country with less strict banking laws, then there is less uh, enforcement action or less ability to trace down. But that's very different on blockchain. When Bitcoin moves, there is a public address, and that address is public, and mm -hmm. you can track that, right? Uh, for example, for Binance, we work, and there are... Uh, companies that did not exist, I would say, two or three years ago, when the general perception on Bitcoin is that, you know, only drug dealers and money launderers use it, um, is that very few people use very, uh, the addresses that, all the historical addresses and future addresses when Bitcoin get transferred are all recorded. And because it's recorded, there's a huge database uh, that's available to basically track whether these are, who are the and beneficiaries or the and, and owners of it. And like, for example, for an exchange, we work with um, companies like Chain Analysis, Elliptic, and CypherTrace who actually work with law enforcement to keep that database so that, um, so that anytime we have uh, money or assets, cryptocurrency coming into our ecosystem or leaving our ecosystem that's going into a known quote-unquote dirty address, mm -hmm. we can block it and report it. Because essentially all the regulators care about is there's a SAR report filed and that it's actually much more effective that way. It, which is really interesting, because I think that goes against the perception that, oh, well, crypto's anonymous. Um, what you're saying is the public network may be, but there are exchanges that can KYC and still work with regulators. Um, I mean, nothing is anonymous. I, I think that's, that's sort of the lesson that we take away in this world. Is that you have a phone, you, have a, you log in somewhere, that IP becomes public, right? Yeah. There is a, that IP is linked then, if that IP is linked to that, a cryptocurrency address, then law enforcement can basically take that data and go dig on sort of the, the, the actual individual behind it. So, so I think, so, so, so I think um, in, in, in a way, it's anonymous in a way that uh, you don't know your personal identifiable information, but it's not, not anonymous in a way that they can always track you. So what about the flip side of that? What about privacy? If there is a record of all of these transactions, how do we maintain privacy as we go into a world in which there is a public record of, of a whole bunch of transactions? Um, I think that's the challenge. Uh, I mean, I think privacy is... is so. Because um, I think financial data has never been really private, right? Because uh, I think any banks, anybody that works in this room that deals with regulars knows that the data you have on any financial transaction have to be kept for X amount of years, five years, 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's that same in this industry. 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that continues to evolve. And I guess um, speaking of evolving, I'm, I'm interested in how you see uh, the sort of this ongoing tension between uh, that privacy and security in, in the next two or three years, and how you see the role of Binance evolving in the next two to three years. Do you see uh, that kind of uh, privacy security debate uh, increasing in the wake of sort of Cambridge Analytica and, and the concerns about privacy? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I think. Um it's the, the key about privacy is that uh, it's less about the disclosure uh, or it's, not, it's less about the, the public nature of data. It's about who owns your data. Mm -hmm. It's about ownership, right? Because I think if privacy is a right, it's just as money, right? I own my own money, but my money sits within third-party institutions that are caretakers of my money, right? My, privacy, my data sits now with the big tech companies, <laughs> right? And there are no rules about how they caretake my data, right? That's really think, interesting. So, 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 so for example, so I think if you sort of like put money and privacy rights and property rights are all sort of the same thing because they're mine and I own them and I control it um, and I control who can see it and I control who I share it with, I think that's really, really key, that's right? And where money comes in is that now with blockchain, with, with cryptocurrency, I can control my own money. And right. does the money you control have to compete with sort of fiat money? Does it have to compete? You know, is it Bitcoin versus the central banks? Or, or is this stuff all going to kind of come together in the future? Um, it, I, I think there's many different views on what Bitcoin is. I think the easiest way for the people from finance, or at least for me to understand it, is that I view cryptocurrency and Bitcoin as a whole as an asset class, mm -hmm. right? And, and that gives me a good reference point on this asset class will grow and become more popular and will increase in value, through, like correlation-wise, right? But but I think um, but I think that doesn't really compete, like because and where does fiat sit in all of this, right? Fiat are basically central government printed currencies, right? But but one of the really unique things is that um, there's a new asset class that's growing within crypto. If you look at cryptocurrency as a whole, the fastest growing asset class within cryptocurrency mm -hmm. is this thing called stable coins, right? Mm -hmm. And all stable coins are are cash-backed or fiat-backed cryptocurrencies, right? They're, right now, the more popular ones are US dollar-backed, right? USDT, TUSD, USDC, uh, PAX. And, and, and th these, that asset class um, are, uh, are what has allowed Binance to trade, right? Because we don't have to deal with fiat. Now we can use these stable coins uh, to trade. So we don't have to deal with a lot of the headaches that comes, uh, a lot of the, I would say, frictions that comes with fiat. And I think for stable coins is really interesting because for Binance, we're exploring, uh, uh, we're encouraging companies to explore the Binance chain uh, to launch their stable coins or launch their crypto. And, and because, uh, because of the fast and, and sort of cheap nature of it in terms of transferring, but, and Binance itself, we're working with um, uh, different parties to, uh, to look at one uh, GBP, British pound uh, stable coin right now. Wow. Yeah. I think stablecoins is an interesting one because people always talk about the volatility of crypto being being mm -hmm. why it could never be used and mm -hmm. get mass adoption. So is the volatility a bad thing and, and necessarily? And does um, do stablecoins solve for some of that? Well, I mean, stablecoins, there's... Uh, and then I go back to one word that I used before, which is use case. Mm -hmm. Stablecoin has many use cases. For an exchange, the use case uh, for people that trade on exchanges, stablecoin is a way where they can park their assets without having to deal with the daily volatilities in mm -hmm. Bitcoin, 
right? Or, or other crypto assets, or BNB, or Bitcoin Cash, or Litecoin. Within stablecoin, they know at least a dollar is a dollar, or, mm -hmm. or a pound is a pound. So they, they, they can park it there and move it back. When they see an opportunity, they can move it back into crypto and enjoy the volatility if, they're, if, they're, you know, if their algos or their personal judgment is that way. And that's just one use case for an exchange perspective. If you speak to some of the, uh, if you speak to some of the, um, uh, uh, I would say some of the stablecoin companies. I mean, they're working with large international corporates in terms of how to use stablecoins in terms of global commerce, in terms of trading, right? Because then it's, it's still a dollar. Mm -hmm. right? it, it, it's just that now the companies, they, uh, the company themselves can uh, do global transfers amongst them, uh, do an intro, internal company transfer, right? Um, without having to basically go through six different banks. And having to so like, did you get the wire yet? Did you get the wire yet? Here's the wire notice. Did you get it yet? Six hours later, you get the wire, right? Whereas for stablecoins, here's my record. This is the address I send it. Um, Ten seconds, thirty seconds later, here's the money in your address. And do you think um, banks will uh, increasingly start to adopt this stuff? Because we've seen a lot of PR around, you know, that they're gonna do a thing. They've done a pilot and a POC. And are the institutions coming to crypto, or are they gonna do DLT? Because there's this DLT versus sort of crypto narrative. Yeah, I mean, um, there's and I, I, there's the private blockchain, which is what JP Morgan is doing with the JPM coin. Right? They're building on the Quorum blockchain, which is a private network that they're gonna try to do basically have their own internal stable coin that's gonna do settlements amongst the JPM and their clients, right? And then you have the public, um, you have companies that are working with public chain, like IBM's working with like six different banks to build on the Stellar chain, blockchain. And then you also have, um, and then, so, so I think um, these things don't compete with the central bank per se, right? Because these are, the money doesn't really leave the ecosystem, doesn't leave the system, they still sit within a bank. It's just that there, there's, a, there's a, a cryptocurrency that's been issued based on the assets that sit in these banks. And I just think there's gonna be more of it. And then different banks, banks could do it themselves if they wanted to uh, and figure out how, to help, how it's gonna help their business. But third parties with a lot of money sitting on a bank can also issue it themselves and help their own businesses. It's super interesting that you don't see that as competitive to what you're doing at Binance. It's sort of kind of meeting in the middle. Yeah, I mean, so sort of where we're uniquely positioned is we're a marketplace, mm. right? <laughs> when you, the more tokens that are have, there, there needs to be a marketplace. Marketplace has existed in the history of that. Like, you need a place, we go to the market, how do I, how do I change my one product for this one product, right? And, 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 I, and I think we just want to be the, the world's marketplace for tokens. Brilliant. And um, what's coming next for Binance? Uh, I, I think one of the key things that we really want to focus on is uh, getting more uh, projects to look at the Binance chain and looking to... Ex uh, you know, uh, for me, I'm here talking to different parties to help them to educate on what the Binance chain is and how you can issue stable coins on the Binance chain. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we, are, we have a fiat exchange in Europe, uh, Binance Jersey, that's listed. Uh, right now, it's basically euros and pounds. You can trade Bitcoin and Ether, but we're going to add uh, BNB and future, you know, a few more currencies to that as well. We thank you so much for joining me on stage today. Oh, thank you very much, Simon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Wei, uh, CFO over at Binance. Just to remind everybody, this podcast is brought to you by 11FS, and we are a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of financial services. We create truly digital propositions, working with banks, big techs, and all kinds of companies who want to get the most out of where finance meets customers. If you want to hear more Blockchain Insider every single Thursday, the subscribe button's right there. And just tell some friends. Get them to subscribe too. Press gang them into it. I know that's what Anthony Macy does. Uh, I, we uh, we really, really love and appreciate all of that. All right. Uh, where can people find out more about you, Sarah? Uh, I am on Twitter at Seronimo. And you can also find Clearmatics on Twitter at Clearmatics. Or you can go to github.com forward slash Clearmatics. Excellent And also stuff. we're hiring. Ooh. Uh, what about your good self, Anthony? Um, 
PTK Foundation, so mm-hmm. anything to do with the PTK Foundation, I'm a big supporter of. So with please a PH. Do. With a PH, it's Foundation. Uh-huh. You yeah. have to pronounce it. Like with that. the teeth, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. With, with the teeth. All right, and, and, and uh, TBT? You can find me on Twitter at, at Tina Taylor, or you can find out more about GDF at gdf.io. And we're hiring. No, we're hiring. We are too. The PTK Foundation doesn't need to hire because the number goes up. <laughs> 11 of us is hiring. Shut up. All right. <laughs> Big thank you to our amazing production team here at 11 of us. Uh, producer Petrit, who's out at the moment, uh, Laura and Hannah. And of course, uh, Alex, our usual editor, and Michael, who's stepping in for him today. Shout out the one and only Michael freaking Bailey. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. We'll have more Blockchain Insider next week. Bye for now.